Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's Football Podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. Uh, football has started and it is being played. And you know, BK, before I did this with Rockin' Nation, I had a, a podcast of my own that I did for about five years that covered the sport as a whole on the national scale. So all the conferences, Power Five, G Five, all that stuff. And I would count down the days until the first college football game, and we'd record and, and prepare everything and get all of our previews through. And I tell you, man, I have not watched a single second of college football, and there have been a bunch of games. Are you uh, are you partaking in what's happening here? I got to be honest, man. I watched a little bit of the BYU versus Navy game and then saw BYU just start the, the shellacking that ensued. I really haven't watched much at all, though, and I've been surprised by that, but I think it's just there's been so little lead-up in terms of, like, the actual coverage of the on-field product that it's harder this year for me to get into it than it has been in years past, and that's not just the case for college. It's the same thing at the NFL level. There's just there's such limited access for reporters, for analysts, to be able to go in and, like, really report the news that... There's less coverage and therefore less anticipation, and it's just it's a weird year for college football and for the NFL. So I I really haven't watched that much either. I got to be honest with you. I mean any any college football that I've watched is purely through gifts and screenshots on Twitter. So like Army rampaging Middle Tennessee, I only knew that was happening because a couple people uh, sent out the link of uh, Middle Tennessee forgetting the time on the clock at the end of the half. I saw that. (laughs) Forgetting to run a play or run a play quickly, I should say, as as time ran out and they were in the red zone. Um, Yeah, I I was following following along on Twitter as BYU, who we were going to play, uh, Rampage Navy. Now, apparently, and this this is an interesting little nugget, Navy has not been doing full contact practicing. For the past couple of weeks um, in an effort for social distancing and just maintaining their health and everything like that. And um, I think that's a smart idea, but apparently uh, it helps to practice tackling if you want to try to tackle any PYU player this year. Fancy that. Yeah, it, it helps to do that. I will be interested to see what exactly Mizzou has done on that route. And I don't know that there's been a whole lot of um, analysis or reporting as to what exactly they are doing right now. I would imagine that they are doing at least some tackling other than what we saw from Navy. Um, but I think every team's going to be a little bit different from that perspective. I agree, but it, it is kind of up in the air. You know, Odom um, was really weird with his access, like started off really closed off and then it kind of opened up a little bit, but like he as a coach and they as a staff were not – super open with the media or, or super friendly as far as social media goes. Uh, and, and Drinkwitz and his boys are completely different. They've got the, they got the Twitter uh, videos that they post every day. You can see him uh, coach drink mic'd up. You can hear interviews with players and coaches and it's all great. I still have no idea what the hell's happening in there. Um, like, uh, like today we just found out that, uh, Hyron White has a shoulder injury. He is projected to be a starting tackle, probably the right starting tackle. Um, and he's out, uh, at least for through the scrimmage this Saturday and offensive line was already going to be, um, <clears throat> an area of improvement for 2020. Uh, it certainly doesn't help when one of your guys is, is missing time, but, um, I don't, does it, it, it felt like I knew more 
at this time last year, and that's not a, a critique on either Odom or Drinkwitz. I think to your point, it's just a critique on we can't have people in there, so it's just really tough to know what the hell's going on. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think that's accurate. I mean, we literally got a report earlier today. We're recording this on Tuesday night at this point, just for anybody listening, wondering when the information is kind of coming out. Um, so we're reacting to very recent news. There was a report that apparently the left side of the offensive line is just like completely in flux for Mizzou. Like they have no idea that we're not sure we'll figure this thing out as we go. It's like, oh, okay, so that's that's how this is going to work. <laughs> Sweet. On the plus yeah. side, if you're looking for the silver lining, it does sound like they know what the right side of their offensive line is going to look like, which yeah. I guess is a start. It's a good starting place. That wasn't always the case the last few years. So um, <laughs> it's it's a good starting point, even though it does make me a little concerned that the blind side of whichever quarterback they're going to go with this year, uh, they have no idea who's going to start at left tackle. Yeah, and I guess some of them are COVID cases, so it's like, cool. That's that's great. You know, I, part of me is like, you know, this is what we get for pushing these kids back. And, you know, Columbia as a metro area is number top 10 in the country as far as uh, new cases per capita. Go Mizzou. Um, but um, that I think the, the top 10 currently right now are all college campuses. So it's not certainly a Mizzou specific thing. Um, so that sucks. But, you know, on the bright side, if you subscribe to the thought that you get it once, you don't get it again. We're still not playing for another 18 days, so if they work it through their system and come back, you know, if you subscribe to that theory, then they should be good to go for the rest of the year. But um, it's not good, whatever is happening, and whether it's COVID or injuries and or just general, I don't know what to do. Um, not great signs from the offensive line, and that might be why Trey Williams said earlier that the defensive line is regularly logging six sacks per practice. <laughs> Yeah, and that's one of those things where, like, I don't put any stock into that whatsoever. And I know we're going to talk about the defensive line a little bit today, um, certainly with the big commitment that Mizzou got between the last time that we recorded and today. Um, I I really don't put any stock whatsoever into the sack production that a defensive line is getting within uh, the confines of practice, given the fact that, first of all, you can't actually sack the quarterback. And second of all, we don't know <laughs> what the situations are, whether it's actually set up for success for the defense. I just, I have no idea what to make of that, if anything. And probably the likely answer is just, you shouldn't make anything of it. Yeah, I think that's fair. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Like I said, 18 days, 17 by the time this comes out. Uh, we got a couple weekends in between there. there. There is football to be watched, both professional and college. I, like uh, we talked earlier, the Chiefs are kicking off in 24 hours for anybody who's interested in the, <laughs> in the professional product. Uh, I know someone on this podcast who is. Um, but it's, it's there for, your, for the taking. And um, there's not a whole lot of fans in the stands, sometimes none at all. Uh, it is very weird, uh, but um, we are doing this thing, and uh, it's it's here if you want it. So please partake, and of course we got you covered as far as previews and projections, and we'll get into uh, p- opponent previews as the as the season starts, and we'll break down the games and all sorts of stuff as long as we have them. So uh, make sure you stay tuned in to hear. But alluding to what BK said literally less than a minute ago, <laughs> we do have some recruiting news, which I know everybody loves. Uh, Four-star, defensive end, Indianapolis, Indiana, Kyron Montgomery. BK, what do you know about Mr. Montgomery? 
I know that he's a four-star recruit. I know that he is 6'5". I know that he is 240 pounds. I know that that helps Missouri because they have a lot of defensive ends that have not been particularly productive. And I also know this. I found this to be particularly interesting. Mizzou currently has two four-star defensive ends committed to the team. Mm-hmm. If they retain both of those four-star defensive ends, it would be the first time that Mizzou has signed multiple four-star defensive ends in the same class in the Rivals era. In the entire <laughs> history of Rivals.com, they have never signed multiple four-star defensive ends. This would be the first time they've done it. And given the fact that this is a school that has had plenty of success, both recruiting and then developing defensive ends, I think that's a pretty big deal. So um, this is a hell of a get for Eli Drinkwitz, and it's a heck of a player for him to bring in in his initial class. What have you made of this so far? It's nothing but good stuff, man. Like Even if he doesn't pan out, the fact that you got an out-of-state four-star to come to your program speaks a lot about your recruiting acumen and how you are pitching this program. Um, but I mean, what he's, he's our fourth, four star Tyler Macon got a shiny new fourth star. Not too long ago. Uh, Travian Ford out of St. Louis is a four star Dalen Carnell also out of Indianapolis, except from Ben Davis high school. He's a four star and now Kyron Montgomery. That's a lot of four stars. Now I know when Drinkwitz took office, if we want to use that term, he sat there and he said, we will be recruiting the hell out of the state of Missouri, the city of Dallas, the city of Chicago, and all of Colorado. Didn't mention anything about Indiana or Indianapolis in particular, but we already had some guys on the roster from there. And apparently it's, it's a pipeline that is developing. And if we get these two four-star kids out of there, that's just another little feather in his cap, another place that we can go to. Um, and it's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you want to recruit the state of Missouri? Yes, he's doing that. You want to recruit Texas? Yes, he's doing that. There is nothing wrong with expanding the footprint a little bit and trying to get highly ranked kids to come to your school no matter what. I know there are Mizzou fans out there who would prefer Mizzou, Missouri kids to play for Mizzou. I get that. Um, there's a lot of talent in this country. It's not all in Missouri. Not all the kids who play Missouri football can play in the SEC. That's It's a tough conference, so not everybody qualifies. That's okay. Drinkwitz has offered 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 kids in a 2021 high school recruiting class. Okay, And that's out of 25 kids so far that are ranked. And then the 2022 class, he has offered everybody except one from the state of Missouri. So don't worry. <laughs> He's putting in the work to get Missouri kids to Mizzou. But you take all the talent you can get from wherever you can get it. And I just I think it speaks volumes of their recruiting acumen, just flat out. Again, it doesn't matter if they make it big or not. I'd prefer they did. But it's about the perception. And it's really, it's really good for your program. If you can go into Indiana or any other state that's outside of Missouri and Texas and say, Tigers got him. So Mizzou currently has the 20th ranked recruiting class in the country by rivals. Now, some of that is like fake numbers, right? We know how this works because when you get Mm -hmm. more kids to commit, the score goes up for your team and then eventually it kind of gets a little funky with the numbers. But even if you go by average recruiting ranking, they're at a 3.2 right now, which is really good. Um, And if you look at the coaches, for instance, that are right around Mizzou, It's Norvell down at Florida State, right behind Mizzou at a 3.2. 
And it's Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss right ahead of Mizzou. Mm. That's really good. Those are the types of coaches that you want to be around. P.J. Fleck right now is behind Mizzou at a 3.19. Like That's where <laughs> nice. you want to be if nice. you're Eli Drinkwitz and the Missouri Tigers. That That's around the range that you should expect to be in moving forward. So I feel really good about the way that they've recruited and the success that they've had. And it's sustained, man. We wondered, would this be able to sustain itself? We have not seen a bunch of commitment or decommits yet. Knock on wood there. Mm-hmm. But this is this is all positive. Everything you could possibly say about Mizzou c- recruiting right now is still in the positive direction, which in mid-September at this point, that's pretty nice to hear. For those of you who don't know, P.J. Fleck is a ferret on Mountain Dew. <laughs> like whatever whatever you know schematically or tactically on the field no he is a recruiting demon when he was at western michigan he was hauling in like historical recruiting classes for not only western michigan but for the mac on the whole he was recruiting at one of the top two g5 programs in the country he was right behind boise state you don't just do that by accident, okay? Like, he has a way. He's super young. He's super energetic. I don't think he's the greatest, you know, wartime general, but he can get the troops rallied. So if you are if you are outpacing P.J. Fleck, again, phony math aside, numbers, rankings, you know, all that stuff, phony math aside, if people think you're doing better than P.J. Fleck, you are doing really well in the thing that he is very, very good at. So... That is no small beans. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what these guys can do. We get them on campus next year. Um, there's, there's stuff for them to do. Uh, as uh, we've, This is defensive line week, and, and Mr. Montgomery must have known that since that's why he committed on the, on the 25th. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, we, we've kind of dove headfirst into the defensive line. And really, my takeaway is it's, it's nothing special. It's not, there's no secret. Um, the defensive ends. Uh, have something to prove and the defensive tackles are stocked with senior talent and going to be working to find you know just get the young guys on the field whereas the defensive end is going to be hey whoever can produce go ahead and step up and do it so uh, for you BK you know it looks like it's going to be Trey Williams and Chris Turner on the ends and then Kobe Whiteside and some combo of Akio Byers and and Markel Etsy the big thing for you for the defensive ends other than just get more pressure what would you what would you like to see game one against Bama? Oh, I, be solid. Like, I'm not even asking you to be great. I, I'm really not because I don't. I think that's just too much to ask for at this point. I really think one thing that we've seen from Eli Drinkwitz is he's been really good at plugging holes, right? We see, okay, you have an, you have an issue at center. Well, he goes out and gets a really good grad transfer to plug that hole. You have a clear deficiency at wide receiver. He goes out and gets two of the top grad transfers available at the position. Uh, You don't really have quarterbacks in the pipeline that you love. Okay, well, he goes out and gets one locally that he feels can be good for his system and Tyler Macon. So he's, he's been really good at filling those holes. And I think that's what he's doing at defensive end right now. And we're seeing this with their recruiting class. And I just talked about some of the rankings and everything. I mean, they are stockpiling right now at the position. If you look at what they have so far, they've got 19 current commits. Five of them are defensive ends. They know that this is a weak position on the field. And so I know I'm kind of going around what your question was, which is what is the position going to look like this year? 
But the reason why I'm doing it is because, honestly, I'm not sure that it really matters all that much. Because I don't think any of these guys are truly a part of the future of what they're trying to build. But to answer your question directly, I hope that they've got a guy that takes the next step. Just a guy that can provide some pressure. Maybe it's Trey Williams. I don't really believe that it's going to be Chris Turner. But maybe Cy Martin can give them something that we're not expecting Maybe uh, Kale Byers can kick outside like we've both been talking about for so long and give them a little more pressure from the edge. I don't know who or what the answer is, but if they can just find one, I think they've got enough inside to be able to make that work. But right now, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that they're going to have any. Um, but what are you going to be looking for, Nate? I just I want to see who who gets playing time because. As I've said before, you know, this this season, the 2020 season, is whose line is it anyway? It's all made up. The points don't matter. Um, <laughs> as long as they win, well, I say as long as they win one, one game. I know you want a little bit more than that. You want two, which I, I think they'll get. I, I'm just like, get me two games and then show me what you want to do. Show me what your offense looks like. Show me what, you know, how the defense can, can carry this team. Because it doesn't matter. And I think that might be why I'm so lethargic as far as getting on board with the season. I'm like, there's nothing that's going to be proven here. So this is the greatest live, in-person experiment that you can have. This is one gigantic test tube where you can do literally anything and pretty much get away with it unless you're Jay Hobson at Southern Miss, <laughs> who got <laughs> fired after showing his whole ass against South Alabama. That's what happened. That was wild. I, I've i never seen anything quite like that. Um, that was unbelievable. But you're kind of right, right? Like, this is, this is not a season where you're going to be judged the way that you typically would. And so if your defensive ends aren't perfect, if they're not great, and if you decide to go young as a result, I'm here for it, man. Let's try some things that might be interesting and that allow you to do some things moving forward that will help you in the future um, that being said, I go back to what I said at the beginning of all of this conversation, which is, I think the answer at the defensive end position is going to be one of the recruits that they're going to bring on campus for next year. I'm not sure it's any of the guys that are currently on campus. So I'm here to try them out to see who can be a part of that rotation in the future as well. Yeah. The downside of that, of course, and this, this is coming from me and BK who are out of college. We're not athletes. We're not any part of this we're not the coaches we're not part of the staff whatever the downside of this season is that you can have some of these guys coming back and we talked about this i think it was last show about the dangers of having a project that doesn't turn out that says hey i'll come back next year and you go oh god <laughs> because this is a rebuild i know odom thought he was in a rebuild we all agree this is a rebuild and the last thing you want is remnants from the last regime holding back your development so god love him i appreciate everything that chris turner has done i appreciate that chris daniels has come here um if they don't show me anything this year and decide to come back i'm going to be really disappointed because that's going to be snaps taken from zakori brooks johnny walker this year mm -hmm. and then of course you know jonathan jones travian ford kyron montgomery next year um, you know, Chris Daniels, if he doesn't leave, that means Mantra Edwards has that much more difficulty, that much more in front of him uh, to try and crack through a starting rotation. I'm just like, mm, go, go away. <laughs> like, I, I, you're, you, you're done. And, and I'm not saying that that's what they're going to do. And I know it comes across as super cold hearted. But if I, if I want my team to be rebuilt, 
I want my team to rebuild with guys that my new coach wants, not stuff that he's inherited from the old guys. And maybe maybe Drinkwitz wants Turner and, and Daniels and, and everybody else that, you know, should leave and maybe doesn't like that's not for me to decide but just sitting here on september 8th in my basement i'm like this is the downside we can hold on to a couple of these guys for a year longer than what we need and slow down the development and the progress of this program as a whole yeah and that's that's the concern and i i did a little bit of research into the defensive end production right and i know you did this as well for a piece and people should read it at rockanimation.com kind of previewing what the defensive line is going to look like this year and just the lack of production from that spot in terms of pre- uh, pressure on the quarterback from defensive ends. I I looked up defensive ends from Mizzou with at least seven sacks dating back to 2008. Mm-hmm. And they've had at least one defensive end with seven or more sacks. So basically more than one sack per game or more than half a sack per game. Almost every year. The only exceptions were 2011, which kind of surprised me. 2012, which didn't surprise me at all. (laughs) And then the last two seasons. Those are the only two years (laughs) that they didn't have at least one defensive end with seven-plus sacks. And if you look specifically at the production from defensive ends sack-wise the last two years, it's embarrassing. Four (laughs) sacks last year, six-and-a-half sacks from the position as a whole in 2018. So not only did they not have a player reach seven sacks in either of the last two years from the position. They didn't have the position reach seven or more sacks as a whole. Every single player that got snaps as a defensive end for Mizzou. So it's just fallen off the face of the earth. What was once known as D-line zoo has now become just a vacuum for production at the position. It's, it's weird, man. I, it's got to get fixed because in the college level, if you can't get pressure from the edge, you just you have no chance with the way that teams are playing now offensively. Yeah, it is it is all passing game. If you can't stop the pass, the best way, one of the best ways to do that is to hit the quarterback. If you can't do that, you're not going to succeed. Do you remember uh, Striker Sulak? Yeah, yeah, like a good college defensive end, really good. Ten and a half uh, sacks back in 2008. Yeah, two star out of Texas under the cool system. Ten and a half sacks in 2008. Um, Chris Turner and Trey Williams for their entire careers combined, 11, mm. 11 sacks. That's, uh, three seasons, six seasons. If you combine the two. So mm-hmm. that's where we're starting. One striker Sulak, <laughs> one year of striker Sulak is what we have coming in for their careers. So it's not super great. Now on the flip side, I mean, the defensive tackles are great. It's just figuring out who is you know is there enough snap distribution to get everybody on the field because that's really going to be the strength um and you know unless like we've said like we've harped on unless buyers bounces out outside you're not going to get all those guys on there at once so i'm not totally sure what the interior of the line is going to look like i don't think it matters too much um one really interesting nugget that you all will get uh from me tomorrow when the defensive tackle position drops is that of everybody of every defensive player on this roster um, Bill Connolly, the godfather, does do defensive yards per play. And that, that is a metric that measures when a defensive player makes a tackle, on average, how many yards has the ball gone when hmm. that player makes a tackle? Really interesting. Like It's not scientific at all. It's just a little interesting little nugget. Yeah. Of all the defensive players on Missouri's roster, Kobe Whiteside is the only one who averages negative yardage when he makes a tackle. And that's not just last year. That is his entire career so far. 
Now, keep in mind, he didn't play a whole lot before last year. So you're dealing with a little bit of small sample size before then. But you don't average minus 0.9 yards per tackle on accident. You just don't. And Kobe Whiteside has done that. So I thought that was pretty cool. It's amazing. Um, I'm going to write a love letter to him later this week. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I think he's one of the more underappreciated Mizzou defensive players of the last 20 years. Like, I, 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 re- I really do. What he did last year was nothing short of magnificent. And you're absolutely right. Like, the overall production in terms of just, like, the sheer numbers uh, maybe isn't quite as big as you would expect just because like he doesn't play as much as some people probably would like to see he's Mm. he has in his career in three years so far 45 total tackles but last year he had seven and a half tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks which is just freakish like Mm -hmm. those are numbers that you would expect to see out of somebody like sheldon richardson not a relative no name nationally who (laughs) is probably not as appreciated locally as he should be. So um, mm-hmm. I'm going to write a little bit about him later this week. I think the biggest question, though, about Kobe Whiteside's production is how much of that was due to the other defensive tackles that he was playing with last year. Ding, ding, and most, ding, ding, ding. more specifically, how much of that was due to the fact that he was playing with a top 100 pick in the NFL draft in Jordan Elliott? Yeah. No, it's a fair, it's a, it's a fair question. And I think that's what we're all asking. It's it's a pretty easy question to ask. Um, so one thing that I did, and I probably should have included it in the piece, but I didn't. So congratulations uh, for all you podcast listeners. You get a little extra nugget of information. Do you remember a gentleman named Indomitian Sue? Heard of him. Heard of him. Should have yeah. won the Heisman. God. <sighs> Don't even get me started on that. He. Mm. And he folded Blaine Gabbard in half and ruined his career, so he's got that going for him. Uh, no, one of the most dominant college defensive defensive players, one of the more dominant players, full stop, that I've ever seen in college. Um, but he played next to a guy named Jared Crick. And Jared Crick was a defensive tackle who benefited from Sue demanding, you know, triple teams. Um, and so I was like, well, okay, that's a really good example. Now, Indomitian Sue was transcendent as a player, but... You know, Jared Crick was fine. What did it look like once Sue left? Well, when he had Sue next to him, he had uh, 31 solo tackles, uh, 12 and a half tackles for loss, and nine and a half of those were sacks. When Sue left in 2010, the dude still had 36 solo tackles, which was an improvement. 70, uh, or sorry, 14 and a half tackles for loss, which was an improvement, and another nine and a half sacks. So he did just as well in 2010 that he did in 2009. Now, that is one guy with one transcendent player. So I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. What I am saying is that just because you play next to someone who's super freaking good doesn't mean that you automatically fall off when you start getting double teams because you're the alpha on the line. Um, but it's just something that we need to something that we need to monitor, and you want to make sure that either Byers or Utsi or whoever works their way in the rotation can at least hold their weight so that Whiteside can do what he needs to do. Yeah, and that's I, I think that's the hope is that you it's not that you want him to have the same production next year. Like uh, he doesn't have to have seven and a half sa- uh, tackles for loss again next year. He doesn't have to be a guy that gets you seven sacks from the interior. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like getting yeah. seven, seven sacks from the interior is it never happens. Um, I'm yeah. frankly not expecting that to happen again next year. But 
you just want him to be solid. Like, can he give you four sacks next year? Can he give you five tackles for loss? Like, just don't go completely off the face of the earth. And if you can do that, well, then you're thrilled with the production that you're getting from a player that is objectively good, even if he's not giving you quite the same numbers that he did a year ago. Yeah. I mean, let's be frank. He's probably not going to do better than that. So we just expect, you know, do what you got to do. Really, what you what you're expecting is like as the the unit itself just improves overall because you got starters returning across the board. You would hope that that means it it has to get better. <laughs> it has to get better, <laughs> man. Like we can't just sit here and not get pass rush production like we had in the past. Um, you know, the secondary has some talent. You know, and Jarvis Ware and and Anus Rakestraw from everything that we've heard from practice reports is a is a beast. But you got to give them. You got to create urgency for the quarterback so they make a mistake so the guys in the secondary can pounce. You know, the Bledsoe's, Joshua Bledsoe, Tyree Gillespie, Jarvis Ware, Enos, whatever, whoever it is. You have to make them have good opportunities to pick those balls off. And if you're not providing that rush, then they're just covering for five seconds and, and falling down at some point. So um, that's that's what we're looking for. And, and, you know, with the safety core, we'll get to that. The linebackers will get to that. But it all starts up front. And especially for Mizzou that has been D-line Zoo for the past, you know, for the past decade, it sucks that it's gone. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, the seniors can go out big. Um, and then we got the new blood and Travion Ford and Kyra Montgomery. And, hey, Zachary Brooks, Johnny Walker, get in there too. Show us what the new zoo can do and uh, prove Drinkwitz right as far as bringing you on the team. I can't wait. Quick question for you. If you were to predict one player to make the leap this year among the defensive line, who would it be for you? The entire defensive line? Mm-hmm. Um, One player to make the leap along the defensive line. To make the leap means that you haven't done anything before and we're not expecting no, it. Uh, it could, or, or it could be a guy that was already really good that you think is going to take the leap to being great, mm. right? Okay, okay. Well, Trey Williams, uh, during his the interview time that we got, has me completely bought in. That dude is a character, and I am 100% on his side. But I don't think he makes the leap. I think what we would see... I'm going to go with Jatorian Hansford, and I'm going to assume that he got his injury out of the way for this season because he always somehow gets nicked up. Um, and instead of playing, you know, getting 13 and a half tackles or what is it, 14 and a half tackles over 19 games, he actually starts providing some some decent support. Um, I'm going to say he gets, you know, let's say 15 tackles. Five and a half tackles for loss, and three of those are sacks. Who are you looking at? I, I, I was gonna pick him, um, <laughs> so my answer is gonna be far less interesting to do that. So, <laughs> as a result, in order to switch things up here at the very end, I'll go ahead, Akil Byers. I, I feel like every like year that. over the last few yeah. years, they've had a defensive tackle kind of take that next step um, to kind of fill in for whoever the previous one was. I think Jordan Elliott did that last year after he took over for basically the Terry Beckner role. Um, so (laughs) I'll go ahead and go with Kale Byers. I think he's going to be a guy that takes that next step. And I really do think at a certain point, there's going to come a point in time when they have to bump him out. They have to bump him outside because they're not going to get the production that they're looking for from their defensive ends. I just, I can't see it. Um, and when that happens, given the depth that they have inside, I think they go Byers outside for a little while and see what that looks like. And so I'll go with him as my guy to take the leap. It can't hurt. I said it in the in the defensive end piece. I, I repeat myself in the defensive tackle piece. 
Why not? Why not bump him out? He's he's a bigger in. I think he's at three oh five right now, which is hefty. Um, but you could still have him as a strong side defensive end playing the run. I would trust him over Chris Turner at this point. You know, I don't think that's absolutely crazy. Um, so if you do short yardage package or you just do you know goal line package, or just trot out your your base line with buyers at an end. Why not? Why not do that? I. Again, I'm no coach, but I am completely agreeing. We should at least see a little bit of that as we go throughout the season. I th- I view it that way as well. Um, that being said, like I'm just surprised that they haven't done it yet. Like I, I don't totally understand what the explanation is as to why they are still waiting to do it. So maybe I'm wrong, and maybe he's just not going to be able to translate out there. But I I feel like he should be able to, even if maybe the coaches don't seem to see it that way. <laughs> Well, I mean, Walters is still here. Haley is still here. So those guys haven't changed, but mm-hmm. Drinkwitz is now in their ear. And if he makes them better or starts challenging some of their preconceived notions, maybe that does mean that buyer sees more time. Who knows? There's also a chance that he just doesn't practice very well. That's always one of those things that like, we as fans don't understand, but as coaches you need to be consistent on that. If you show up at practice and just fart your way through the hour, two hours, whatever it is, no, you're not going to see time where you want to play. Like, no, you got to give me your all during practice. I think uh, one of my favorite little snippets from uh, drinks mic'd up was, "It's practice, man. This is the you could get away with anything in practice. Just give it a shot." <laughs> like that's basically it. That's what they're looking for. Are you buying in? Are you giving an effort? Are you are you looking forward to the game? You can't just show up at the game and just expect to play. So that could be it too. I I hope I just hope we see it, man. Because at, at a certain yeah. point, they they have to get production from the position and. They haven't had it for two years now. So what have you not tried? Throw that at the wall and see if anything <laughs> sticks. That's where yeah. they are. They, they are really at that place of desperation now. Yeah. Well, speaking of... Oh, crap. I had a transition, and I've already <laughs> lost it. So moving on, um, I had a really interesting thought experiment that I wanted BK and I to go through. And it's going to be a little wonky, and it's not super Mizzou-specific, well, kind of is, but what? here's the point. We we already have college football that's starting off, and we already know that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are not participating. So if BK and I could wave a magic wand and pick five players from Big Ten and Pac-12 teams and bring them onto Mizzou's roster currently, and so if whether they're a junior or a senior, whatever, they keep their eligibility, they just come to Mizzou, okay, and we get to have them on our team going forward, whatever going forward means. We could pick five players from the Big Ten or the Pac-12. Who would we pick and why? And so I wanted to kind of go through that exercise and kind of build a, almost a dream team uh, of Missouri Tigers. Um, and so uh, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go back and forth, BK. We'll, we'll kind of alternate here. The, the rule is that you and I can pick the same guy if you want. But once you okay. pick one guy from a school, you can't pick another guy from that school again. Because otherwise, we just take Ohio State's entire roster and call it a day. Um, so you can pick one guy per school. You and I can pick the same one. But it's five guys from the Big Ten or the Pac-12. So um, I will let you are the visiting team, so I'll let you pick first. Who would you first add to Mizzou's roster from either a Big my, Ten or a Pac-12 school? My first overall pick. Man, this is a tough one, but I think I'm just going to go ahead and go for it. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and since you told me I could pick literally anybody, yep. Big Ten or the Pac-12, 
Yep. I'm going to take a young man that goes by the name Justin Fields. Hey. He plays the position of quarterback, and he <laughs> happens to be very, very good at it. And Missouri yeah. doesn't currently have one, so we are going to go ahead and add him to this Missouri Tigers team. And suddenly a team that we are not expecting a whole lot from looks like a legitimate contender in the <laughs> SEC East. <laughs> For those of you who'd like to know, Mr. Fields had a 67% completion rate last year, threw for three uh, 3,273 yards, 41 touchdowns to three interceptions. That is 13.8 yards per, per completion, only a, an 8.1 sack rate. Um, and he also added on the ground 106 rushes for 689 yards and 10 touchdowns. So the dude is... Good. You add him to any team in America, that team is mucho better than what they were, and yeah, he would definitely carry this team for a while. So that would also be my first pick, BK. I'm in complete agreement with you on that, to the surprise of nobody. So if you had a second player, who would you go after Justin Fields? So this is where things get really interesting because, as you said, you can't pick up another player from the same team. If I could, I would just continue going down the Ohio Ohio State roster and just taking all of them, <laughs> yep. Um, yep. including tackles, guards. Sean Wade is an unbelievable cornerback that they have on their roster. Um, you could literally raid their roster and feel really good about it. One quick follow-up question for you. Are there players that have opted out that would be available, or are we going to play this game the way that you probably should and say, no, those guys are unavailable. You can't go that route. We've got to take players that are actually going to potentially be eligible for college football this year. We're going to take the eligible ones, yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Otherwise, Fair. we'd also take Rondale Moore and like Micah Parsons and all that stuff. So, yeah. And the tackle, who I never understand how to pronounce his name correctly from Oregon, who is Oh, Panay Sewell. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's very, very good. Fair. Um. Instead of him, I'm going to stick at the position of tackle, and I'm going to take Walker Little from Stanford, who is also very, very good at football. Walker Little, I believe, has been like, what is that, the Remington Trophy? Like, Mm -hmm. since he started playing college football, like, the dude walked on, and he was like, oh, yeah, this guy's totally going to win the Remington. That is a good one. Now, Stanford has not been the Stanford that you might think of, the – Gur run, bully you over with just three yards and a cloud of dust. They're not quite that anymore. They're a little bit more um, explosive pass or nothing, but he has been absolutely excellent. Um, and he is, I think he's probably going to be, well, you tell me, is he an NFL first rounder? Uh, probably, yeah. It, the way that the NFL draft works, you just never know. Um, but as of right now, based on every expectation, I would think that he will be, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Stanford has a very proud offensive line tradition. So I think that's a, that's an excellent pick as well. I am, for my second pick, I'm going to address what we were just talking about. I'm taking okay. Kayvon Thibodeau uh, from Oregon, the five-star recruit who selected Eugene uh, kind of in a surprise over USC and a couple other big names. Now, Oregon's no slouch. Obviously, they're not like mega blue blood, but they've been to national championships. But it was still a coup. You typically don't see Oregon – going into Los Angeles and snatching five-star anybody's um, out from the nose of USC, and that's exactly what Oregon did. Um, now, I think Thibodeau was almost an Alabama lean, I think, towards uh, signing day, uh, but kind of surprised everybody when um, when he picked the Ducks. But, um, I mean, he was a true freshman last year, and he had, he had 14 tackles for loss. Nine of those were sacks, 
and he had 15 run stuffs and batted down three passes. Like, the dude is just all over the place. And we don't have a defensive end that's done that in their <laughs> career, so I'm going to go Kayvon Thibodeau and really beef up the Missouri defensive line. So I, for my next pick, that's a fantastic pick, by the way, because they could use some, as we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes, they could use some <laughs> help on the edge, to say the least. Um, yeah. Again, another one that I'm going to butcher his name, Pat Fryermouth, the tight oh, end Fryermuth. Yeah, yeah. from Penn State, who was just an athletic freak. Um, I'm, I'm going with him because the Tigers could use another weapon at the tight end position, go 12 personnel all day, just one, one running back, two tight ends, by the way. Um, and just go with him, put Daniel Parker on the field with him. And let's just see what the offense looks like from there. I like it. He is a big dude too. Like huge. He he can do both. He can block and catch. So that's, that's an excellent addition. So let's see. We got. I got my quarterback. I got my defensive end. I need a lineman, but I'm. Man, have you heard of the name Elijah Molden? No. So Elijah Molden uh, plays for the Washington Huskies, and he is. So you know how what, Isaiah Simmons for Clemson, like played everything basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he was a he was a linebacker. He was. Uh, well, he wasn't a defensive line, but he's a linebacker. He was a safety. He was a nickel cornerback. Like he did, he did a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And Elijah Molden's very much in that, in that mold. Ugh. Um, he he sees most of his time at corner, but he also plays safety. He, as a corner slash safety, led Washington's defense in total tackles with sixty two and a half. Had five and a half tackles for loss. 13 passes broken up, four interceptions, three forced fumbles. That is 25 and a half havoc plays from a guy who split his time at both corner and safety. He is incredibly disruptive. Uh, he would be, I mean, Jarvis Ware is good. He's not that good. So <laughs> if you could have him, uh, Jarvis Ware, Elijah Molden, and then work in Rackestra um, as a nickel. That would be an excellent secondary to pair with a defensive line that now has Kayvon Thibodeau. So I like that. I love it. I love that option. Who are you going to go with next? We are now three in, correct? We are three in. You got it. We are three in, and I am on to my next selection, and I am going to go do something that many probably won't like, but that's okay. This is my team. I'm building up the offense. Um, (laughs) I am taking another offensive tackle because I – and beefing up that offensive line because you play in the SEC where defensive lines are just monsters. Mm-hmm. I'm taking Jalen Mayfield, a tackle out of Michigan. Nice. And we are going to just go ahead and make this a massive offensive line that you are <laughs> able to run the hell out of the ball with and make things particularly interesting when you have one of the better running back duos in the SEC. So I will go with Jalen Mayfield, an offensive tackle out of Michigan. I like it. I like it. I'm also going to go offensive line because, again, we've talked about it at the beginning. It's a little bit of an issue. Um, I think I want to go – I want to take Abraham Lucas out of Washington State. Um, I understand that I might be a little bit too college football history for for a Mizzou (laughs) podcast. I just follow way too much of this stuff. But um, Abraham Lucas um, is maybe – well, according to Power Fo- uh, Pro Football Focus, he is the second best Pac-12 tackle outside of Panay Sewell. Uh, he's 6'7", 324 pounds. 
uh, has the second highest grade of returning Pac-12 tackles. Um, I think that's going to be, you know, no disrespect to the guys that we have. They're just not super tested. I would take that, a guy who's very used to the uh, the, the Mike Leach air raid and, and passing, basically pass protecting all the time. Um, I would take that guy and slap him on the left tackle to protect uh, uh, Justin Fields' blind spots. So that's <laughs> who I'm going to go with. So with my next pick, I am going to go ahead and take um, one of the guys in the Big Ten that surprised some people. And once again, because this has been a theme of this podcast, I'm going to butcher the hell out of his last name. <laughs> George Karloftis. Oh, out of He's Purdue? A, yes, a um, freshman defensive end from Purdue. That last yeah. season was just an absolute monster. Finished the year with seven and a half sacks on the season. As a true mm-hmm. freshman, he is going to be my selection. I like it. That dude, yeah, little looked like a, if you take a look at his uh, high school tape, it looks like this scrawny little white guy. You're like, who is that? But he like <laughs> hit, his, hit a growth spurt. He's 6'4", 265. 42 tackles on his own, 17 tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks, 20 run stops. Yeah, oh, I'm my in. good God. <laughs> oh, jeez. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and add that guy to the defense, and hopefully things get a little bit better next year. Oh, do I want to add him? Oh, man, do I? I don't know. Maybe I do. I don't know. I don't want to repeat, though. Here's, here's what I will do. Um, I have a quarterback. I have a defensive end. I have a – corner i have a tackle i feel good about running backs i'm i feel good about our wide receivers even though we haven't seen him play at the sec so i want to go linebacker i'm going to take cameron mcgrone out of michigan he's a five-star i remember he was coming out of uh coming out of college um he was he i'm doing this mostly based off of reputation because he had such like incredible high school film it hasn't really Mm. done a whole lot of michigan so far but like whenever you read practice reports it's like oh man cameron mcgrone like just took an offensive tackle benched him and threw them outside the stadium like it's just all this crazy like it's it's all these crazy stories about how athletic and how awesome he is so like let's see here last year he did Let's see, 15 and a half tackles, nine tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, 12 and a half runs. So, so, yeah, he didn't play a whole lot, but for what he did, he made a pretty big impact. And if I put him next to Nick Bolton, I'm feeling pretty good about my defense. So, my this is my final selection, correct? Yes, that's correct. So, with my last pick, I am going to go ahead and go with a linebacker because I'm going to add to what is already a strength on the roster, Kwoni Dang. Linebacker out of Cal, who is six Ooh. foot six, two hundred and twenty pounds, had a hundred and twenty total tackles last season. Went the <laughs> JUCO route and is just a monster, a physical specimen. I want to see that guy next to Nick Bolton, and let's just yeah. see how things go from there. Um, I have a feeling you're going to get a hell of a lot more athletic at the position, and you're going to have a known commodity next to Nick Bolton, which right now they really don't have. I think that's one of the biggest questions that we don't really talk about a whole lot just because we believe in Nick Bolton. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's probably a position that could be upgraded. Well, in some fairness, we also believe in Devin Nick. Well, do you believe in Devin Nicholson? Uh, maybe. Um, I, do you believe he exists? <laughs> he, he, he's, a, he's a person that plays football for the Missouri Tigers and occasionally okay. got into the game a year ago. 
But last year was just so weird with the way that they would play their linebackers. A guy would yeah. start one week, and then the next week he would be like seventh on the depth chart. It's yeah. like, wait, what happened to him? So I don't know what to expect out of any of those guys that are potentially going to be next to um, Nick Bolton this year, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it would probably be Nicholson would be my pick. I mean, he only played in seven games. 17 tackles, one tackle for loss. Like, he was not super disruptive, but he was still trying to figure things out. Apparently, Chad Bailey's having himself quite a fall camp. Mm-hmm. And he, a lot of the guys know, have mentioned him. Yeah, and he was a former four-star out of Missouri City, Texas. And I personally have been waiting for him to kind of, you know, poke him with a stick, do something. But, like, he's been <laughs> injured, you know, so, like, I, that's my fault for pushing him. But if he has a good camp, that's great. I hope he takes over. But, yeah, you take a six-six guy, good God. Like, he's just got to, like, stand there, and he takes away, like, an entire passing lane on his own. Like, that's incredible. I, yeah. That'd be an awesome addition. Also, I don't know if you're looking at this. So you said Dame had 90 tackles. Uh-huh. Cal's leading tackler last year was Evan Weaver, their other inside linebacker, with 141. <laughs> Were they just on the field the entire game? <laughs> he might have been. Yeah, it was like 141 tackles, 11 tackles for loss. Oh, that's such a middle linebacker. Two and a half sacks, 14 run stuffs, three passes broken up. Yeah, just a bit. You thought, oh, my God. Remember 2015 when we had um, Kentrell Brothers? Mm-hmm. That was, I think he did like a hundred and was it like one twenty. So I think it was one twenty. That sounds. For, I gotta look it up because you know we're on we're doing good radio here. Uh, Kentrell Brothers, two thousand fifteen. He had. Oh. This says one hundred and fifty two. I don't. I think that's a little too generous. But I think it was one hundred and twenty was the official stat. I thought that was the case, but I could be wrong. Well, regardless, Evan Weaver, that's ridiculous. 141. Go. Oh, my God. He, I hope he's in the NFL because that's, uh, that's impressive. Um, is he All right, are you team? on your final one here? Uh, I think so. Let's see here. So I got Justin Fields. No. Oh, geez, I'm done. Justin Fields, Kayvon Thibodeau, Elijah Molden, Abraham Lucas, Cameron McGrone. I'm done. So here's what we do. Um, we go ahead and add those players to the current Missouri roster. They win a championship, and we're good to go. Easily. Everybody That's happy it. with this? Yeah. We're good? Uh, <laughs> we're very good. All right. Cool. <sighs> we did it. We fixed the team. <laughs> um, <laughs> God. Uh, that'd be nice. I, I I guess, okay, is the Big Ten actually playing? Because I just heard that, that despite, you know, the parents, oh, we're not going to do anything, and now they're like, oh, well, maybe we'll actually play. I, what's the latest on that? I have stopped listening. Earlier today I saw, I think it was Dan Patrick reported that they are now not even in real consideration for playing. Oh. So okay. that was the latest thing that I saw was it, it looks like it's even less likely than it previously was. <laughs> cool. So, yeah. <sighs> for what it's worth, it certainly makes the Big 12 look like they got their stuff together, which is not not a good thing. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. <sighs> We are, like I said, we got three more weeks, about 17 more days roughly, um, until we play Alabama. Are you uh, are you getting excited to watch Mizzou play at least? I'm excited to watch Mizzou play. I'm not excited to watch Mizzou play the first three weeks of the season, really. Yeah, same. But same. that being said, I'm also the guy that complains um, when Mizzou plays the Little Sisters of the Poor in week <laughs> one and two. 
And yeah. so I can't really have it both ways, right? I, I should yeah. probably have it one way or the other. And I prefer this way. If Mizzou mm-hmm. is going to go into a week one game where I'm not excited about it, I would rather not be excited about it because I think they're going to be on the losing end as opposed to not being excited about it because there is literally nothing on the line. Like if okay. Mizzou, this is unlikely to happen, right? But if right. Mizzou were to go into week one and they beat Alabama, like they somehow find a way to win that game because Alabama is on their 17th string quarterback or whatever it is, right? <laughs> if they went into that game and won 17 to 13, that would be an unbelievable accomplishment for the Put Tigers. Put the statue up. Put it up right, right now. So there is actually something tangible on the line for Mizzou. Meanwhile, if they went into that game playing SEMO, the only thing that could possibly happen in, the, in that game for Mizzou is a letdown. There is sure. nothing good that can come out of that game. So I would rather it be this way as opposed to what it typically is in week one where they're playing somebody that stinks and we know they just are trying to run out the clock to see what the score is going to be whenever it's over. So my follow-up question for you, and I've seen this bandied about a little bit on on the internets, in a post-COVID world, if we ever see that, when things are quote-unquote normal again, do you want... Uh, or would you prefer the Power 5 teams to only schedule Power 5 teams and no G5 and no FCS? Or would you be okay going back to an FCS team and then a bunch of G5s before the conference? I prefer this. Um, you prefer it, conference? Yes, I prefer or conference. just P5 in general? The latter. P5 in general. Like okay. If, okay. if given the option of only conference or um, G5 plus FCS and all of that, I would go conference conference alone. Wow. Okay. Um, but if I have the option of conference plus power five non-con games, that's my route that I'm going. I just okay. think it's more interesting. Like I would rather see Mizzou play Illinois and Iowa and Nebraska mm-hmm. um, and other power five teams that are interesting than watch Mizzou play. I don't know, uh, Northeast South Dakota state, right? Like I, I just, I'm not interested in okay. watching that football game. I don't want to spend four hours of my life watching that. Okay. Well, what if it was Mizzou versus Boise state? I'd watch that. So I guess that is kind of a little bit of a loophole, right? Like there are certain G five teams that I'm interested in watching. They're just few and far between. I would agree. Now I'm going to say two things. Number one, I, I am cool with eliminating FCS that, that sucks because we need those programs to exist so people play football so that football is good. Like, we kind of need that. I know mm-hmm. why it exists. If you want to eliminate it completely, like Mizzou says, hey, you know, going forward, we're going to pull, pull a USC and we're never going to play FCS, like, I'd be good with that. At the same time, I do think that some of those G5 teams need to go down a level. <laughs> I don't think we need 130 teams. Um, I think, like, you know, well, I'm not going to name any teams because that's just me being mean. But we could downsize a little bit. That would suck, but we could do it. But in a perfect world, for me, avoid the FCS. You schedule two G5s, two P5s, and then your conference. Or instead, a G5, an out-of-conference P5, and then play everybody in your conference. Like, come on, that's not too hard. Um, but I do like the the better quality opponents, even that if that means you're going to lose, I think that's that's better for the sport. Uh, you do need some cross-pollination in the conferences to give you an idea of kind of how everybody's doing, but um, I'm not a fan of only conference. That's I don't like that at all. Yeah, I, 
I don't love the idea of only conference. I just like it in relation to what we've had in the past. Does sure. that make sense? Yeah. Like, I, I yeah. think it, this, is, as an ulterior, I prefer Mizzou's current schedule to the one that we were pro, uh, supposed to see this year. I'll put it that way. <laughs> BYU, Eastern Michigan, uh, Louisiana, Lafayette, and exactly. uh, Central Arkansas. Yeah. Exactly. I would rather watch them play 10 games against the conference than 12 games with three of those games not being particularly interesting or with the only real option there being that that team potentially gets an upset over Mizzou and it looks terrible for Eli Drinkwitz. Fair enough. Did you watch Central Arkansas play either UAB or Austin P? I did not. They kicked some ass in week one, though, right? So it was interesting. They were definitely very sleepy. <laughs> like, like Austin P is a good team, but like Central Arkansas was giving up some opportunities. Um, so that was a closer game, but those two evenly matched opponents. They pushed UAB to the limit. Um, eight days later, I think is what it was. So they they stayed in Birmingham after the game and mm. and and practiced in in a bubble. Imagine that. Um, gave them a run for their money, but um, I'm glad it wasn't Mizzou. <laughs> UAB is a good team, and that, they got scared. So um, I'm glad that we're not playing UCA, and I'm playing, we're not, glad we're not playing BYU, especially after what they did to the poor uh, midshipmen last night. So bullet last, dodged. Last thing that I wanted to bring up to you, um, we have now seen, I mean, last week we saw the first postponement of real importance for the Power 5 conferences with TCU postponing its opening game. Now we have seen in the last hour or so, uh, Baylor has apparently postponed its first game. Do you think this is going to become a regular occurrence? I mean, we we talked earlier about how Mizzou apparently has some issues of its own with COVID mm-hmm. cases. Um, do you think this is going to be something that we see regularly this college football season? I certainly don't think those are going to be the only two. I don't think it's going to be every team has a postponement, but... I would say that at least at least once a week we'll see a team or a game postponed. I just yeah. kind of feels like that's just going to happen. I think so too. I think this is – you said it earlier. It's like whose line is it, is it anyways? None of the points matter. Nobody knows how they're awarded. Um, I, I think this is going to be a season where just appreciate every Saturday whenever Mizzou is scheduled to play that they play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like – Go into it expecting absolutely nothing um, in terms of like them playing. And then if and when they play on that Saturday as scheduled, be thankful that they are. And then hopefully yeah. the next week they do it again. Mm-hmm. Because I I don't know how long this is going to last, if it is going to last, and what it's going to look like if it does last. But I know that at least we're getting to watch some former fashion of football. And so far, um, that's all we can really ask for this year. It is. And that's our show. We appreciate you guys tuning in, doing the downloads, doing the subscriptions. Go ahead and leave us a comment, rate us. We love all types of feedback, so send it our way. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. You can listen to him on 101 ESPN, on the radio, the terrestrial radio, or streaming, 11 o'clock central. Uh, and, of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll go ahead and try and do better next time. But until then, my Z. See you.